1: mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america and a member fdsc hey
2: y'all this is episode 70 of eco chic my name is laura diaz and i am so happy to have you this week it's always just so great To have y'all returning every single week. I so appreciate when you subscribe to the podcast and you get new episodes every single Tuesday, except for last Tuesday. So there was no episode last Tuesday because, dig this, I was driving cross country. I have made the move from Arizona, where the podcast originated to Atlanta, Georgia, so just about as far as you can get from coast to coast across the U.S. So I appreciate y'all reaching out to me and just sending me positivity via social media. It's just so nice to be able to share things with you, like, just along the drive, and now I've kind of been in the process of furnishing a full adult apartment, and I just want to be able to share those things with you on social media. I'll probably do, like, a little bit of a, like, home tour, I guess we're going to call it, later this week, or maybe next week. My apartment is still, like, semi-unfurnished like I'm missing a couch but there's a couple things that I found really cute like at antique stores and a couple things that I've had to buy new and then just how I'm like making those conscious choices of just better fabrics and better companies to buy and how you can just be a really conscious consumer this is my opportunity to really like put everything I preach into practice so it's been a really really fun project for me and I hope to be sharing that a little bit on social media if you want to follow along I'm at eco chic podcast And you can also DM me there if y'all want to get some stickers. So I love sending out stickers if you are new to the podcast. It's something that I really enjoy. It's a fun way to just thank you for listening along. And all you have to do is send me a DM with your address, and I will be sure to get those stickers out as soon as possible. And it's just, again, a really fun way to rep and a good way for me to get in touch with y'all and get to know you a little bit better because I love the idea of a podcast being like a conversation. I don't want it to just be like me talking To myself in an empty room or talking to a void and there's real people receiving this and i want to be able to be like hey how are you what do you do and like i feel like a lot of us are very similar and i love the idea of community so anyway point of the story if you follow me on instagram and send me your address i would love to send you some eco chic stickers today's episode is a chic chats episode which is a really fun call-in style episode so this is the second of these that i have done The first one was on dating and five different girls called in and we all talked about dating as a vegan or someone who lives low waste or just an environmentally conscious lifestyle and what does that mean when you are involving yourself in romantic relationships and y'all seem to love 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 that episode. I got such good feedback and I think it's probably like my most downloaded episode thus far so I got a lot of requests to do another one and so today we are talking about cultural sustainability, and what it means to be sustainable abroad, environmental values in other countries outside of the US, which is where I am based. So I do wanna kind of set the scene a little bit because this was a really fun episode for me when I started thinking about it. I kind of imagined it to be more about people's cultures and like heritage, what barriers you experience with your family or when you're participating in certain like cultural activities, like maybe holidays, things like that. So how I kind of imagined it, I touch on this briefly in one of the conversations today But how I kind of imagined it is from my perspective, I am Cuban, I was born and raised in Miami, Florida. So a huge just Latin American community in general there. And Cuban people love pork. I mean, all meat in general, but pork in particular, at least in my opinion, has been really important to me culturally just growing up. So for some idea, like on Christmas Eve, on Noche Buena, we always have a huge pig. It's like a pig that you roast all day. And my mom has stories of like, Her dad and her uncles digging a pit in the backyard and you fill it with charcoal and you have this huge pig that the day before when my mom was a child, she would go out and like pick out the pig with her siblings and with her dad. And which is kind of like a strange idea to me because I never like personally did that. I never went to a farm and picked out the pig that I was going to eat for Christmas, but It was something that like, if you see your pig as like living a happy life, that's the pig that you're going to choose. And I feel like that's much better than buying into factory farming if you are going to eat meat. So just something to think about on that perspective. But anyway, so the idea of a huge pig is something that I associate very, very closely with Christmas Eve. And that's just something that's always been really important to me. It's a tradition that I like, I love, love, love that so much. And I've always loved it growing up. And I feel like from another culture, it might be a little bit strange, like just looking at a pig. But on the flip side, like as Americans, or I'm sure as people in other countries, if you are buying animal products at a store, is it so crazy to think that it was actually an animal and it was actually living a life and it had a face and it had, you know, it came from a farm or a litter or whatever you want to think about it as. And it makes it a lot more personal when you're thinking about an entire pig, at least in my personal opinion, like in my experience. So I am not a vegan. I am not like a ride or die, no matter what I'm going to eat plant-based. And I've talked about this before a little bit on the podcast. So I call myself a vegan at home. So I don't buy any animal products and I really limit my consumption of things like dairy, and when I'm out, I will allow myself to eat animal products if I feel like it, maybe allow is not the word, but if something's like sounds really, really good, I'm gonna go ahead and go for it. But I typically also eat vegan when I'm out, just because that's how my taste buds have changed, and that's just what I enjoy now, but there's nothing that I feel like I need to really restrict in my diet based on purely environmental reasons or purely animal rights reasons. So that's just to say if I am allowing myself this small portion of animal products, you know, 2% of the year, let's say 98% I'm being a vegan, and then the other 2% I'm letting myself just like indulge a little bit, quote unquote, I am going to definitely think about cultural experiences in that indulgence again. So something that I'm always going to say yes to, at least like as of right now, I'm always going to say yes to that Christmas pig just while I'm with my family, while that's something I really enjoy, while that's a tradition I grew up with. And so anyway, that's kind of like more of the stories that I was anticipating hearing as I began reaching out to different girls and just talking to people about their experiences when I started saying the words cultural sustainability or like cultural barriers to environmentalism. So again, I was kind of like thinking about these heritage stories and I was expecting people to tell me a lot about their families and things like that. And I did get a lot of that. And this has been such a fun episode to put together. It takes a little bit longer for me to put together these hotline style episodes, just coordinating with people's schedules and putting it all together at the end. But it has been so, so rewarding. And it has been so, so great to really connect with girls from around the world to be able to talk to me about things that... They find in their family that are kind of barriers to their sustainable practices, but also in their countries. We talk a lot today about different countries and how different countries are receptive to particular environmental values, or there is just not infrastructure for particular things. And a lot of the time, the things that I want to go ahead and encourage everyone to take part in aren't always accessible. So we talk today, one girl does talk about clean water, or someone else talks about infrastructure for trash or the different ideas of like meat or plant-based cultures in their particular areas. So it is so different around the world. And I think that this is such a great conversation to give a lot of perspective on privilege, first of all, but also on like what your values are and being able to really do the best with your restrictions. So maybe you want to be a ride or die vegan, but you also want to be really respectful of the country that you're in. Or maybe you want to recycle and compost, but the options and the infrastructure isn't really there for it to be a reasonable option with your schedule. And for that reason, I was so excited to put this together and I'm excited for y'all to listen to it. So we are hearing today from four different listeners. I'm so thankful to all of them for taking the time to just chat and enlighten me a little bit. So first we're hearing from Celine from Germany, Lynn from South Korea, Marley from Uganda, and Jaynon calling it from China. So these are all women who live in different countries, who some of them have lived in the U.S. previously, some have never lived in the U.S., but they've lived abroad, and they have a really great perspective on what their values are and what the country's values are. And we do talk a little bit about political structures. So if you're not familiar with some of the national policies, we don't mention anything in specific, but I, for some context, Cillian and I talked so, so long about Germany, and Germany is making great strides in terms of renewable energy, and they're kind of like the golden standard, at least in my mind, for what a great country can be when it's reducing its carbon emissions and just trying to be as clean as possible while being as industrialized and as advanced as possible. So for some, I mean, for some context, My master's degree is in climate science and solutions. And while I was in graduate school, Germany was kind of like the standard that they were like, if we want our country to get to this, we have to be looking at Germany and we have to be doing what Germany wants to do. So Celine gives some really great insight on what that means as a German day to day and like how that kind of impacts her, if at all. And Marley talks about Uganda, which was really interesting to me because I don't know a whole lot about Africa. I don't know a lot about African infrastructure and a lot about just what the norms are there. So she has some really great, really great insight to share about like what you have to do on your own to take accountability. And also if you want to eat meat products and things like that, like what that means to her. On the flip side, Lynn talks a little bit about food culture and also drinking culture, which I thought was really interesting. She has so much interesting insight on recycling and pollution and air pollution and litter. And I thought it was really interesting what she shared about air pollution. Also just thinking later about my conversation with Janon on from China, who also talks about air pollution. And they both have very similar concerns, but their countries, both in Asia, their countries are doing very different things when it comes to environmentalism. And Lynn talks more about infrastructure from a national scale, and then Jadon shares some really great insight about her family and what it means more, what I was imagining those like more heritage stories, what it means to her to just express her values to her family, and then how she kind of compartmentalizes that. So all in all, great conversations. I'm so thankful to all four women for calling in and taking the time to just chat and just share their stories with me, and I ended up having just like great relationships with all of them, and I'm thankful, and Anyway, I will stop gushing. I hope you guys so enjoy this Chic Shats episode. If you like these episodes, please, please let me know. I want to do more of them in the future, and I would love to hear about a topic that you're interested in hearing about. So if you have anything that you're really excited to share, I would love to chat with you. Again, social media is definitely the easiest way to get in contact with me, But also, if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. I so appreciate when you do that. It helps me out so much. It helps get other people involved in the community. But I'll stop. Thank you again so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoy this episode on cultural barriers to sustainability and environmentalism abroad. Celine, tell me your age and where you are calling in from. I'm calling in from Stuttgart in Germany and I'm 22. Awesome. Great. Well, I'm really, really excited about this and I would love to just talk to you a little bit about what sustainability looks like for you day to day in Germany.
3: So, um, I've been trying to reduce my waste since July last year, actually, because of Plastic Free July when I was living in London. And since then, I've done my best in being more sustainable probably. And before that even, I've never bought plastic bottles and I've recycled. But these things sometimes are very um, natural to me actually.
2: And are they natural to you just because they're kind of embedded in that German lifestyle? Like you already have the systems in place for really easy access recycling and plastic free options?
3: A lot of things are probably because of the system. Yes, we we do have a lot of possibilities for that. For example, the recycling here is done very straightforward, I think. So you've got many different bins. We've got four at our house. Um, one is for plastic and recyclables. One is for paper. One is for compost and also things that can't be composted, but are like animal products and then there is one for the rest. Then we have glass bins on a community level and also electric recycling bins and other like furniture stuff. So there's not really an option to throw it somewhere else. Though I gotta say that many people don't really know how to recycle. And I also have some questions when I like looking at the bottles, "Where, where does it go? This is sometimes hard, Yeah, but we do have many systems for, for recycling and for being more sustainable. Still, I think that recycling is not the ultimate good thing to do.:
2: Yeah, I totally agree, and I think that it's really awesome to recognize that you already have like really easy, straightforward ways to recycle in place, because there's a lot of countries that don't have that I 'm learning. And I would like to just switch gears a little bit and talk about something that you mentioned before we started recording. When I think about Germany, I think of really like forward-thinking national policies when it comes to climate action. I think of electric cars and I think of sustainable energy and things like that. And you were kind of mentioning to me that electric cars are not necessarily the norm in Germany, as some people might assume. So could we talk a little bit about like car culture in Germany? Yes, of course. I'm from
3: Stuttgart. I'm from the car city in in Germany. Both Porsche and Mercedes have their headquarters here, and many people work at these companies. So it's really big, but of course, they aren't the number one companies in electric cars. So people aren't really advocates of that new trend. And we just really love our car culture and our SUVs and the cars that make noise my brother
2: loves
3: (laughs) really loves the cars um, that are loud and masculine an electric car is not really desirable here but speaking for europe for example um there are many countries that are a lot better for example norway and um, sweden they are a lot better when it comes to that
2: Interesting. And then when it comes to, like, other cultural action items, I suppose we could call them, I would love to talk just kind of about how those more national-level policies in Germany are received by the general public, if that's, if that's of any concern to you. Like, what are some trends that you're seeing, or are people opposed to these more, like, climate-action-focused federal policies?
3: Well, we do have a pretty strong green party and actually in the last European election, they got a lot of votes in Germany. So people are realizing that it's more important to to focus on national um, policies and politics. So yeah, it's more liberal now, but still, m- many people think the economy is a lot more important and also how we treat the maybe the people that come into our country, like the migration policies, everything, because, you know, we've got like many refugees coming to Germany and this is the main concern for people in the
2: last years. But it was the main concern.
3: We're a bit switching to climate now.
2: <laughs> That's really interesting. So it's not necessarily like climate policy is not happening. It's just that there are other issues that seem to be taking more attention right now, like more pressing issues, which makes sense. Like immigration is something that you kind of have to have a policy on as it's happening because you are getting waves of people coming in. And climate change, I guess it's kind of hard to feel like you have to pressure policy for climate change because it's something that is so sustained. It's something that we've been dealing with for a while and we need to deal with for a long time. Yes, exactly.
3: I think it's very, very important. And maybe in contrast to the U.S., we here in Europe, we have so many different countries with different policies, different parties being involved. And I think it is so important to talk about climate on a European Union kind of level. And this is why I was really excited about the European elections that um, were in May. And yeah, the Green Party was really, yeah, was really strong, especially here in Germany. So this this makes me really happy and hopeful for the future of um, European decisions.
2: I think that's really important to think about how the European Union as a whole is going to be making changes because you're so right. It's like about large scale collective action. And I feel like the European Union is a great example of countries just banding together and being able to say, like, this is going to be our stance on X issue. And I think that that's a really admirable thing to just think about the Green Party really taking hold in that sort of wider European election. I mean, I'm not from Europe. I'm not super familiar with the European election. But I think that everything you're telling me makes a lot of sense. And I'm really happy to hear it. And... With that, I guess I kind of want to lastly like zoom in a little bit about your life day to day. What are some of your biggest challenges in Germany living a more sustainable lifestyle So
3: for example, I know from blogs like yours that in the u s it's pretty normal to have um, bulk bins in a supermarket we don't have that like at all we have bulk shops or supermarkets but not really a mixture of both so my next bulk market is a very small shop in Stuttgart it takes me 45 minutes to get there and obviously I can't make it like go shopping there for my regular day-to-day life so this is one one thing and I just moved back in with my parents after I finished studying for a while now, and well, my family is not really just behind everything like me. So they don't really want to do it just as I want to do it. They don't want to change that quickly. They were saying, "Celine, we're already doing enough. We don't buy plastic bottles anymore, and things like that." Every day we're we're getting better, but still, this is. this is my main concern right now. And yeah, we're trying to work it out. What I feel is that people around me think that we are already doing enough, enough as a nation, enough as industrialized countries. So they would say, it's China's turn. Or why isn't the US doing anything? Because we are probably when it comes down to to co2 emissions and everything we're not the worst so people don't feel like they themselves have to become active
2: oh wow that's such uh like that's such an interesting perspective i know you mentioned that to me briefly over dm recently but i was just thinking about yeah you're totally right it seems like Sometimes people don't feel like they have to take personal responsibility when it feels like their country or their state or whatever it may be is already doing other things. And I feel like that's really important to reflect upon for a lot of people because there are other countries where there isn't that sort of like national backing. And I think that there's a lot to be said for individual action too.
3: Yes, exactly. I hope that like when I talk about it, I can inspire people to themselves become active, especially like friends of mine and friends of
2: our family.
4: Hey, Lynn, tell me before we get into it, your age and where you are calling in from. I'm 26 years old, and I'm calling from Suwon in South Korea. Very cool. <laughs> I'm so
2: excited to talk with you today about your life in South Korea and the sustainability mm-hmm. aspects of that So I guess before we get too deep into like the general social conversation, I'd love to hear a little bit about South Korea and just your perspective
4: there on air pollution and trash and things like that. Well, yeah, living in America and then living in here, it's given me a lot of different perspectives. It's allowed me to see things from a lot of interesting ways. And I think that's really fun. So yeah, one of the big things about living in South Korea that uh, is a little bit difficult to deal with is the air pollution yeah the air pollution is really it's yeah it, it it depends on the day but there are some days where it's so bad and it's just really hard to deal with and you know it's like sometimes you feel just personally like really powerless about the air pollution being like concerned about the environment you always feel like oh i feel like i need i need to do something about this but with air pollution it's just like what do you do you know <laughs> yeah that's a oh. huge
2: issue to tackle
4: yeah it definitely is and um you know so just like day to day a lot of times you have to go out of your house wearing a a mask and because You, it's actually like really dangerous to breathe the air. A lot of people don't wear masks, but you know, that's, (laughs) it's probably not the smartest thing to do. Um, And what's interesting is actually you can always check the air pollution levels online. Like there's apps, and you can check it like on like the large like the search engines and stuff. And it's just posted there every day, and you can check what the air pollution level is. And a lot of times, actually, like a lot of the air pollution is produced in Korea, just being like a city, and you know things like this. Think you know Korea does have its own factories, and obviously its own transportation that is polluting. But a lot of the air pollution is actually. Blowing in from China. So that's kind of a big issue. That's a big issue because, you know, in that sense, like, even if Korea does a lot to handle the problem, you know, you can't control China. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a big, yeah. um, that's hard to deal
2: with. Yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge thing to kind of come to terms with that, like, even if your mm-hmm. own country is trying to mm-hmm. tackle this issue, there are things yeah. that are still so out of your control. Exactly. And then I guess on the flip side of that, tell me a little bit about like the day-to-day um, lifestyles that you are seeing and experiencing in South Korea when it comes to pollution and just other environmental concerns like
4: that. Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the I think, you know, as far as air pollution, um, I think in general, I think Koreans tend to be pretty good about it. Like because because people really hate the air pollution. There's nobody who likes it, obviously. And so I think, you know, pe- people are really good about taking public transportation. Uh, because for one thing, it's just really, really good transportation here. Like, you, you can get a bus to anywhere. There's really, really good subways. I've seen a lot of bike rentals. Like, a lot of people ride bikes. There's a lot of those bikes that you can just rent from the street and... Those are those are there a lot, and that's pretty cool. But as far as other ways of environmental like uh con- concerns, I would say that Korea is not so great in that sense. <laughs> I see so much litter everywhere. It's just oh, so much litter, <laughs> and that really yeah, that's hard to deal with. Um, and interestingly, there is actually no public um, trash cans. So, really yeah i i was really surprised trash. about that when i first came to korea i was like where are all the trash cans and it's you know to this day i have asked a lot of people like why are there no public trash cans and i still have not gotten a clear answer <laughs> i think one of the biggest reasons is that i'm you know probably the city or whatever the country maybe it's expensive to manage a public trash can but One of the other reasons is that I think it's hard to separate the recycling Uh, because actually one of the, actually oppositely though, one of the really great things about Korea is that they separate their trash, like by law. So like in in the home, they separate their trash? Yeah, yeah. So by law, you're required personally to separate your trash. So then I guess for the public trash cans that can't really be regulated well. And so I think maybe that's one reason why they don't have them outside. But yeah, so for the inside your home, you are required to separate all your trash and all your recycling, which is really, really cool. I think it's a great system. Usually a lot of people live in apartments here. So uh, usually what happens is in like the first floor or like the basement of your apartment building, there's all the bins for like there'll be like a plastic bin and then like a glass bin and a tin can bin and all those different bins for you to separate your trash. And then you are required to put everything in those bins. The city will come and like take all of that trash out. And so it's really cool. And then also you also separate your food trash as well. So you have, yeah. So if you have any like food waste, you put that in a designated Plastic bag, which you actually buy directly, and so like by buying those trash bags, that's like how you pay for the waste disposal, which is kind of cool. And even though I think like I don't know if those those bags are actually made of plastic, I think there's some kind of like you know biodegradable material because if you feel it, it's not exactly plastic. So I don't know exactly what that is, but you have to buy that bag and then you put all of your food waste in there. And then there's another bag which you buy for all of the non-recyclable things too.
2: Wow. That's so interesting how it's regulated and also how enforced it is to just take account of your trash and like really be responsible for your waste. That's so interesting.
4: Yeah. And actually, if you ever like make a mistake in separating your trash, it, like the person who is working in like the apartment office or something, if he catches you, he'll be come out and be like, Hey, you need to, you know, you need to separate properly. And it, like he, they're a little bit scary because, especially if you're a foreigner, you're like, Oh my gosh, how do I deal with this? <laughs> there was one time where I think that's really one time I wanted to put the I had a plastic bag that I was that I had to throw away. And I thought like, oh, it's a plastic bag. I'll put it in the plastic bin. But apparently there's another bin for only plastic bags. And he kept yelling at me. He's like, that doesn't go in there. But I'm like, it's plastic. Where do I put it? <laughs> and, then, and then I learned like, oh, there's another thing for only the plastic bags. And you know, you kind of learn as you go, but they really like, they really make sure that you're doing it properly. Wow. That is so
2: interesting and like really encouraging to think Mm -hmm. that other countries are taking such account for their waste and just environmental concerns, you know, longer Mm -hmm. term, especially compared to the U.S. that doesn't have anything
4: comparable to that, to my knowledge. Yeah, it's really, really cool. And, you know, like I haven't... done any research about like how actually efficient the whole system is, but just by seeing it, like, you know, it, it must be working pretty well. Like just the way that everything is so well separated. I think that's, you know, they must have a pretty high recycling, you know, rate in my opinion.
2: Yeah. I have to imagine, I have to imagine that it is a really efficient system, especially yeah. if it is as regulated as it is and mm-hmm. like as mandated, I guess we would call it. Mm-hmm. So. Do you see any kind of longer term or domino effect type situations coming from the trash? Like, does anyone else have
4: similarly encouraged environmental values? Well, as far as like single use plastics and things like that, I'm sure this is similar in America. But, you know, so many people are using like single use plastic cups. But one interesting thing, though, is that Korea does have a law for... Cafes, like coffee shops and things like that, they're not allowed to use a plastic cup inside the store. And I'm not sure if like it's that way in America or not. I can't remember. But yeah, I think that's a really cool law. So you either allowed to give out a plastic cup if it's to go, but if it's in the store, it's against the law to give a plastic cup.
2: Wow. No, that's definitely very different from America. Uh-huh. I have so much respect for that because yeah. I think about that a lot, especially like if you are going to a Starbucks, let's say to uh-huh. like work on some work and you're planning on sitting there for a couple hours, uh-huh. you're still going to get a throwaway cup. And that's really unfortunate oh, because I do believe a lot of Starbucks do have, like, they have like ceramic staying cups yeah Yeah. so that you can like stay and sip out of but a lot of people don't know about them and you have to Mm -hmm. ask for them especially like a starbucks barista is never going to ask you is it for here to go Mm -hmm. and you end up just sitting there with a throwaway cup for no reason and i think it's a lot of like encouraging
4: people to even ask for it so so there's a lot of issues around that as well yeah so i think yeah that's one thing that i really really um respect about like the cafe culture because oh my god like Koreans love coffee. (laughs) So I think that's a really cool thing. But they they do still give plastic straws. But I don't know about Starbucks in America right now, but Starbucks here um, has the paper straws. Is that true in America right now too?
2: I believe it is. I believe it is. And they also have like sippy cup lids as well here Mm -hmm. that they implemented about a year ago. I don't go to Starbucks super often, but I have – understood that they have um, straws by request now.
4: Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, at least the Starbucks here, they give only the paper straws, which is really cool. And that's changed actually really recently, like in my time, like in maybe in like the last year or so, they started giving out those the paper straws, which is really cool.
2: I really respect that. I think mm-hmm. that that's really receptive to the culture.
4: Yeah. But actually a lot of people complain about it. They don't really like it.
2: <laughs> yeah. I guess that's like here. I feel like a lot of people get very upset about their paper straw options because Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess paper straws are not a perfect solution. Like they do get wet and they get like wilty and Mm -hmm. you get a little piece of paper stuck to your lip and it happens. But I feel like the straw conversation is really just about like encouraging people to think about their choices. It's not so much about the straw itself. It's more
4: like the movement behind the straw. Yeah, that's a good point. I think so too. A few things about just like social aspects about sustainability. Mm -hmm. There's like a few things. One thing is Actually it sounds kind of funny. It's the drinking culture about Korea, actually. (laughs) It's pretty fun. Like one big thing about Korean companies is that they like to after the work, a lot of times the bosses like to bring the coworkers out for drinks and dinner. And, you know, that can be really fun. But a lot of times I in my opinion, I feel like it can be a little bit wasteful sometimes because um a lot of times if you've already eaten and then if you want to go to a like a bar or something here, you're actually required to, a lot of times, not every place, but a lot of times you're actually required to order food if you want to drink alcohol. And so like in my experience, like I found that like we wanted to hang out a little bit more, but we were already so full and yet you're required to order more food and it feels really wasteful. A lot of times, and there's also a thing called pantan uh, in Korea, which means like side dish. And there are like these little these little side dishes that come out with your meal, and they're so delicious, and they really like supplement the meal well, and they like they go really well. It's like kimchi and things like that. But a lot of times, those side dishes don't get eaten, but yet they're given anyway. Because it's just like the culture. It's like what you do, you have punch on with your food. And a lot of times those things just get thrown out if people don't eat it. And so a lot of times I've had to say like, oh, I don't really need this particular one and just give it back immediately before I even touch it. Because I really, I don't want all that, those side dishes to go to waste. (laughs) Because I see so many like untouched kimchi's just get trashed. And it's kind of disappointing.
2: Well that's really interesting first that you're required to order food with your alcohol. I think that that's actually like a really smart thing on on the part of like a public safety standpoint, yeah. you know, like making sure that people aren't overly drunk without eating.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: But you're absolutely right. There's so much waste in the restaurant industry yeah. that it just kills me to think about. I think about waste in the restaurant industry. And I think about like grocery store waste all the time, oh, like yeah. the amount of produce and food that's just thrown away, not
4: touched. Absolutely. So I absolutely resonate with that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just to go on with like the, about like the food a little bit, Korea really, really loves meat. <laughs> it's cute, like so much barbecue, so much pork and beef everywhere. And so that's been hard, kind of hard to get around because I'm not like a strict vegan, but I don't eat Beef and pork, like strictly, I'll eat like chicken on occasion and some other things, but I I don't eat pork and beef, and so that's been really hard to get around because uh, it's just in everything. Yeah, I completely
2: understand that. I'm Cuban, so it's easy for me to avoid meat when I am like on my own. But when I'm with family, it's really hard.
4: Yeah, and then like especially when you're living in uh, somebody else's culture, like somebody else's country, you really want to be respectful to their culture. And so like if somebody... I've had some situations where somebody did like offer me meat and, you know, something like this. And then I felt like I didn't want to be rude by rejecting it. And like, you know, it's not my, it's not my culture and it's not my, my country, but I want to show that respect. And so that was, I've had a few situations where I, that I was like, Oh, what do I do? Do I eat it? Or do I, what do you know? It kind of sometimes a little bit between like a rock and a hard place. Oh yeah. I
2: completely understand where you're coming from. I think that even just, yeah, thinking about it from like a respect perspective, Mm -hmm. I completely resonate with what you're saying. It's like, when you are in someone else's home or country or city, like you want to try everything and be really receptive Mm -hmm. and, you know, have all these experiences, but it's really, really hard Mm -hmm. to kind of compartmentalize that after a while and be like, okay, well now it's my turn to like really hone in on my values. Mm -hmm. And you said you've been in Korea for three years now. Mm -hmm. So I feel like after a while, it's hard to kind of Yeah. Separate yourself from the culture in that perspective. Right.
4: Yeah. And I think, you know, I like to feel like I understand Korean culture pretty well. But then, you know, in the end of the day, like I still am a foreigner and I still do have like some different values. And, you know, you kind of have to just figure out a way to work around that. And so... Yeah, but mostly it's been good. You know, I always find a way to work around it. And everyone around me has usually been really understanding. Um, Like a lot of my friends who, you know, do eat meat or, you know, do this or do that, like has been pretty understanding and it's always worked out really well. So um, I'm thankful for that.
2: Marley, thanks so much for hanging out today, and I'm glad that we can make this work. Uh, Before we get into it, let me know your age and where you are calling in from.
1: I am 23 and calling in from Uganda.
2: Awesome. So tell me a little bit about Uganda and like your experience as someone with an environmental lifestyle.
1: Yeah, so I've been living in Uganda for about a year now, um, and I would say... The year before I moved here was kind of when I got really serious about reducing my impact. And it's been really interesting kind of just having gone through that to live here um, because there's not really a huge concern about that or an awareness about being environmental in Uganda, at least where I live in Uganda. So I feel like recycling and like reducing your plastic is like a huge focus by a lot of people. I know it was something that I got super serious about, but in Uganda, like in the town that I live in, I live in Gulu, like you just like drive down the road and there are piles of trash on the side of the road. So there's really no infrastructure for waste management. And it's kind of crazy because it makes you much more aware of how much waste you're creating Because no one comes to pick it up and take it away and take it to like a dumpster where you'll never see it. It's just like a pile of trash on the side of the road and then you burn it once it gets big enough. So I think that's one thing that's been really hard because I find it hard to reduce my waste here, but I'm also like much more aware of the impact of kind of the waste that I'm generating, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you said that once the pile is big enough, the trash, the waste is burned. Can you tell me a little bit about that and like those practices? Do you have any like health concerns? Because I know you're in a public health field. Or is there any other like community type things that go on around waste?
1: I would say that one really interesting thing is um, there's like a pretty big expat community both in the capital of Uganda and in the town that I live in. And so people are pretty good about within the expat community trying to recycle. So people will just like hoard their plastic and glass bottles and then take them to like artists who will use them for other things which is something that I found pretty cool um but I think like the burning of trash is a huge health concern and um in the capital Kampala I go back and forth between there and the town that I live in pretty often and they have air quality warnings all the time and sometimes when you drive into the city it's just like the air is so thick with pollution because people are burning so much trash that you like can't even breathe so it's definitely a concern but it's also like there's really at this point no other way that people have identified to get rid of the amount of waste that's being produced here so it's like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place like no one else really has a good option of what to do with it at this point
2: Yeah, I completely understand what you mean. So that's really interesting that you don't really have another option because there's no like public backing on it. So then on the flip side, so waste is a major concern. Is there anything about your life in Uganda that you think is like really positive from an environmental perspective?
1: I think that I'm really conscious here of like my food waste, and so I shop at like a local market I'm probably like as close to farm to table as you can get I shop like straight from the people who farm it and I feel like I've gotten really good about not wasting any foods like when I have leftover vegetable scraps I'll make like homemade vegetable broth and my roommate is sometimes like you should probably throw that away and I'm like no we can salvage it somehow so I feel like it's made me a lot more conscious about what I'm producing um, and kind of made me get a bit thrifty with the way that I deal with the waste that I'm producing, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot
2: of sense. So can you compost where you're living or do you just try to use your food scraps like as thoroughly as you can?
1: I don't compost. It's something that I've looked into, but I just haven't gotten the guts to kind of, like try it yet. So I just kind of use my food scraps to the best of my ability. We also like have a little animals in my compound that sometimes will feed it to like the chickens or something, which is good. But yeah, that's my extent
0: of food waste.
2: (laughs) No, I think that's totally fair and really reasonable. I feel like composting in general is something that people are very often intimidated by. So I completely understand. Just try to use your food like to its fullest extent. And then you mentioned just chickens or other animals that are in your compound you mentioned. So is there a big like animal consumption culture where you live? I'm so curious to know about like typical Uganda, like food culture.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I would say that a lot of people don't necessarily prepare it at home. Like my roommate who's Ugandan never prepares meat at home, but Whenever we eat out, he eats it. So there's definitely a big like consumption of it, but because, I guess, I don't really know if it's because people don't want to slaughter it at home or anything, that they don't eat it as much at home. But like pork is huge in Uganda. People love pork. Chicken is pretty big, and fish is pretty big. I've actually been a vegetarian for a long time, so I don't eat any meat here. Um, but I would say overall meat consumption is pretty big as long as you can afford it.
2: That's really interesting. Um, And I guess I didn't really think about the fact that you would have to most likely slaughter the animal at home. I feel like that's a really big, that's a huge, like, battle for a person. Like, how badly do you really want to have that animal product if you have to deal with slaughtering it yourself? And I think that that's a really cool, like, a lot of time there's a cognitive dissonance between people wanting to save animals from factory farming, but like not feeling bad about ordering Mm -hmm. food out. And they don't really realize that those two things are like so intimately connected. So I feel like having to slaughter the animal yourself makes it super clear and like makes that really clear connection for you that if you want to do it, you have to like be part of the whole process.
1: Right. Yeah, definitely. And I would say it's also interesting just like thinking of it as a vegetarian, like a lot of my friends here that are expats, came in to Uganda also being vegetarians and they did it for like sustainability purposes in the U.S. and also like animal rights stuff but here I think people are much more inclined to feel okay with eating meat because like it is done a bit more sustainably like you can't deny like the impact that like rearing cattle has on the environment but people are raising them themselves it's not factory farmed and it's not like turning them out at a huge pace and like sending them to slaughterhouses which i find really interesting so people will come in being vegetarian and end the year like eating meat again
2: oh that's like that's really interesting because i guess you're totally right if you're thinking about like you're farming it yourself you have to slaughter it yourself the impacts are most likely like significantly less than what we think about in the u.s as like really environmentally intensive animal agriculture. It's not to that same like scale and extent. Interesting. And is there anything else that has really like stuck out to you and your environmental lifestyle that has either like made it easier or harder or anything else you might want to share? I would
1: say that I think one of the biggest things obviously people think about in reducing your waste consumption and especially with plastics is the plastic water bottles and That's something that's been really hard for me because I can't, like, you can't drink water from the tap here. And so I have a life straw, which is great, would highly recommend, where um, you can fill it out at the tap. A lot of people use them for camping, and it filters the water. The only thing is it doesn't filter chemicals, but it'll filter, like, all the bacteria so I can use it and drink straight from the tap. But there are still times that I have to buy, like, if I know I'm going on a long bus ride and, like, my water bottle only holds half a liter – Like, I know I have to buy a liter of water out of a plastic bottle, and it, like, kind of kills me inside, but I also just try to think about it as, like, I'm reducing my impact as much as possible, and, like, 99% of the time, I'm drinking out of a life straw or, um, you know, not having to consume that plastic. So I think keeping in mind that it's, like, I'm doing what I can in the context that I'm in has been really important for me living here.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really important way to look at it. Like just not feeling guilty about the environment that you're already in. So just being like, yeah, these are my limitations and like, this is what I'm going to do about it. And I think that's a really, really good way to look at it. Jainan, tell me your age and where you are calling in from. I'm 18 and I'm calling in from Hunan, China. Thank you. So before we start talking too deeply about your particular concerns with um, Chinese environmentalism, tell me a little bit about your background, just some of the concerns that you see in China now, living there day to day.
0: So I've done an internship with like a pretty well-known climate nonprofit, climate change nonprofit, and it's something that I'm planning to continue studying in college. So I think a lot of the most commonly discussed environmental issues right now, like the trendy hot topics are like plant-based diet and then um, the zero waste movement. So those two things I think have been particularly interesting to observe in China, where I feel like the government is trying to take strides in environmental protection, but not necessarily in these two regards, um, which seem to be like the most popular ones in the US right now. So from staying in China the past few days, um, I've come to realize that like a plant-based diet is sort of looked down upon, despite it being so easily accessible. So in China, there's so many amazing, like yummy vegan foods that aren't hard at all to find. Um, But the main issue is that culturally, it's still being looked down upon especially by the older generation. So a lot of my family members in particular grew up in rural China where they often like struggle to find the money to even have like one meal a day. So I think one of the issues that they have with my plant-based diet is that it appears ungrateful and privileged, which I can understand because to an an extent it really is. Um, It's something that not everyone is able to do because of the different resources that they have available when they're within their community, and I think that's one of the things I struggled with a lot when I came here. Um, I my initial reaction was like, "Oh, why is it such a big problem if it's so easy to eat vegan in China?" And then, you know, I think an important part of of sort of like connecting with them and trying to understand them was understanding where they came from. So understanding that they were lucky to have even one meal a day, and then for me to be able to come in and say, "Oh, um, I can't eat this, 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 and this," I think it was really important for me to um, give them a bit of leeway in in all of this. So sort of being a little bit more flexible in my diet here has been really important. for connecting with my family, some of whom I haven't seen in like 10 years. I think it's really important for me to take the time to explain to them why it's important to me. But to do that, I have to be willing to be flexible with them as they are with me by like supporting me in my plant-based diet.
2: I think that that's a really good way to look at it, thinking about flexibility around your family, because I feel the same way when I go home. There's a lot of things that are really important to me as an environmentalist, like how I eat at home versus how I eat with my family when I'm visiting or whatever it may be. I want to be thankful and grateful and I want to like participate in these cultural activities. So sometimes it's kind of hard to come to terms with that flexibility, but like once you're there, I think that's a really important thing to just kind of acknowledge and kind of congratulate yourself for because it's a hard hurdle to get over for a lot of people just being able to turn that environmentalism off for a day or for a trip or whatever it may be. So I totally resonate with that.
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely been important to me like fully enjoying my time here because I think if it was something that like I was as concerned about as I am at home, it would affect my relationship with my family a lot more. And like, kind of prohibit me from being able to fully connect with these people that like I haven't seen in years. And then I think um, the other thing I wanted to mention was about like the single use culture here. So at home in the United States, I'm trying to become like as zero waste as possible within my like means, but I found that a lot more difficult here, where like there's a single use option that is available for almost anything um it's often taken for convenience so like if you get a drink from a tea shop they'll give you like a plastic bag to put your drink in there's single cotton underwear that's often given on like long-term or short-term trips which like personally like that one makes no sense to me um and then one of the single-use products i'm struggling with the most is the plastic water bottle because the mm-hmm. tap water isn't like safe for drinking. Um, you have to boil it before you drink it. But when you're traveling, it makes it that much harder because like I don't have access to, like a kettle when I'm on the train. Um, and obviously, there are measures you can take to like make sure you have water beforehand, but it ends up being like way more difficult to accomplish that when you don't have access to clean tap water. And I think this experience like traveling abroad and dealing with these different environmental challenges has made me um, try to be more aware of kind of obstacles that people have to deal with in other communities, even in the United States. Like if you don't have access to clean tap water, that's going to significantly impact the degree to which you can act on um, environmental, like, initiatives that matter to you. Because, like, not only can you maybe not do things like, oh, like, go zero waste, but it's also difficult for you to focus on this environmental challenge when you have so many other, like, larger concerns for your community.
2: I think that that is such a good point that you've just made thinking about clean tap water because I immediately thought of Flint, Michigan. And it's like, how can you push other environmental concerns or even just other like day-to-day concerns when you don't have access to clean tap water and you are forced to buy bottled water? And I feel feel a little bit guilty that I just like giggled a little bit about the idea of single-use underwear because I understand that it's a cultural norm, but it is interesting to think about what we take as a convenience measure. You know what I mean? So it's interesting to think that single-use underwear or plastic water bottles or anything that is purely for convenience, it's interesting to think that we're not always, as consumers, thinking about that end-of-life cycle. You don't think about what does it mean when you throw something away. So I think that all of these are really good examples of just being able to encourage some consciousness around waste in general.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think it's, um, it's led to some pretty like interesting conversations with my family. So I'll be like, oh, so like, why is this the thing? And then they'll explain it from their perspective. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, and then I explain to them from my perspective. and like, oh, well, I, I would be more comfortable with me just like not using it because Um, I explained to them like what I'm trying to do at home and like why environmentalism is important to me and sort of how like those small things like the single-use underwear like play in and so far they've been like really understanding about it but it's just been I think really like interesting slash difficult for me to like wrap my mind around like some of these single-use products like the single-use underwear like that's something that I would have never like fathomed that anyone would ever have or like have a need for until I came here. And I was like, oh, this is like super duper common for people to bring on trips. Like if you go to Disney for the weekend, then you'll bring along your single use underwear. and That's just been like such a strange concept for me. So yeah, I mean, I I think it's all been really interesting because again, like you mentioned earlier, like the Chinese government has gotten a lot of attention for these like really great, strides they've been making in the environmental movement, like using more clean energy um, and planting more trees and a lot of really important initiatives. So I think it's been interesting for me to see on like a more individual level, what kind of like sustainability challenges the like the public is confronting and if they are like taking measures as drastic as the government is.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that insight, and I so appreciate you just, like, taking the time to explain all of that, because I think a lot about China. Like, before we got started, I am really impressed with everything that the government is doing, and it's interesting to think about either how long it takes for that consciousness to, like, trickle down to the day-to-day person, or just how people are reacting in their everyday lives. Is it something that you're kind of just going to take for granted as, like, a government action so I think it's interesting to think about single use culture and plant based diets and things like that and just thinking about like how long it will take to shift cultural norms if it's going to shift at all.
0: Yeah, it's kind of scary <laughs> to be honest like to think about all that but I do think especially in a lot of the larger cities. So I spent a few days in Beijing and when I talked to my family there it became very clear that like environmentalism was like a growing concern um like when I talked to he's basically like my uncle when I talked to him he was talking to me about like all these new initiatives that Beijing is doing like with planting trees and um encouraging people to like properly recycle and I think it's interesting how in like, larger cities, it's the topic is a lot more, like, talked about. They're a lot more, I guess, like, appreciative of what the government is doing in terms of sustainability. And I think a lot of that comes from, like, the wealth disparities between, like, the rural and urban areas. So
4: Hmm. um,
0: the the urban areas, I guess, like, they have more leisure time. And a lot of the people, I think – spending a lot of your time in such close proximity with other people makes you value, like, the environment more. Whereas in rural areas, I think that your connection with the environment is different because you rely on it for, like, life and subsistence. But because I think there's less, like, the, the, I think there's less, like, leisure time a lot of people who live in rural communities where like a lot of time is spent in like farming and agricultural work and i i think they just develop like a a very different relationship with it and they're more aware of like i think their individual impact on the environment as opposed to like what the government is doing with the environment if that makes any sense no that
2: does make sense and i think that's a really interesting perspective like i'm really glad that you shared that i don't have any on-the-ground experience with rural versus urban Chinese communities, but I think that it makes a lot of sense systematically, logistically, thinking about even cities in the U.S. versus more rural communities. You have a lot more access to resources and information in cities, and you're concerned with different things if you're in a city. So it completely makes sense. I see where you're coming from. All right, that is it for this Chic Shots on environmentalism abroad, cultural barriers to sustainability. Thank you again so much to the four girls who called in and spent some time with us today sharing their stories. If you wanna get in touch with any of them, I'll go ahead and tag them on all the posts that go up in regards to this particular episode. I'll make sure that if you want to get in touch with anyone, you can reach out to me, if anything. And also don't forget to DM me your address if you want some Eco Chic stickers. I love to send them out, and it's always just a fun way to get to know y'all. And with that, thank you so, so much for listening. I love you all. I'll see you next week.